Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate you leading us tonight. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. I happen to know this is somebody's favorite chapter. Yeah, he's, he's, he, that was very close. Albert's favorite chapter. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 tonight, and we want to look at verses 5 through 11. Put off sin is what I've titled uh, the message here tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word now. I pray that you would bless our study. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who is the, the ultimate teacher. And so have your way in our hearts as we study. And give me grace to teach clearly. And then I uh, pray for the other uh, class with the teens and uh, the moms. I pray that that would be fruitful as well. So we commit our evening to you. Thank you for it. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, well, we are, have been talking about Colossians. And uh, Colossians emphasizes the, uh, the sufficiency, the supremacy of Christ. Really, the order here is in chapter 1. We have uh, the supremacy of Christ being emphasized. And then we have the sufficiency of Christ being emphasized in chapter 2. We move into chapter 3, and uh, the emphasis here is that we need to live according to who we are in Jesus Christ. And as believers, uh, we have been raised to life with him. We are in union with Jesus Christ. Uh, It says, seek those things which are above. Set your mind on those things above. Uh, That's where Christ is. Uh, above all the, the things down here to distract us, set your mind on things above. And then also, as we move on there in chapter 3 and verses 3 and 4, we find that we died uh, with Christ. Uh, you died. And uh, it goes on to say, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's a beautiful description of what we were talking about last Sunday night of being in Christ. Our life is hidden uh, in Christ. Uh, hidden, as it says there, uh, with Christ in God. And then, uh, verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, he is our very life. And when he, and when he appears, uh, we will appear with him in glory. So uh, note this, uh, it's all about our position in Christ. We're dead to the world. Our identity now is with Jesus Christ and, and our union with him. And now we are to live accordingly. That's what we see in verses 5 through 11. So our practice is to now match our position. And so let's have somebody read verses 5 through 7. Chapter 3, uh, 5 through 7. Who wants to read that for us tonight? Yeah, Jeff. Okay, thank you. So, uh, therefore, in light of our position that he has just described in verses 1 through 4, in light of our union with Christ, uh, therefore put to death your members. Now, this is one case where where you probably don't want to be a member. Uh, I'm just kidding. Just, that's a bad joke. Uh, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, uh, he's talking about, uh, you know, the members of your body by which, you know, you, you sin with members of your body. Uh, well, that was my bad joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. No, we're not. This is, this is New Testament. We're under grace, not under law. So we're not putting anybody to death here. But, but we are to put to death uh, our, our, our members that would lead us into sin. Now, that's the emphasis here. And actually, it's very strong here. Uh, put to death is decisively, resolutely, to slay utterly. Uh, there's no compromise here with these members, right? I mean, the, the flesh wants to kind of work through those members and take you in a, in a direction of sexual sin, calls for the death penalty. Nope, got to put it to death. Uh, no negotiation with the flesh that would lead us into sin through our members. Uh, that is uh, the members of our, our bodies. He's speaking when he talks about members here metaphorically, uh, through which uh, the activities of, of our, our body are done. You know, the members of our body, our, our physical body. So uh, we need to stop the body dead in its tracks when it comes to sexual sin. That's really what he's talking about here. It's kind of the same language as when Christ talked about if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Uh, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Uh, we don't think he was talking literally. He was using metaphorical language to say, take decisive action. This is what he's talking about here. Take decisive action. When he says, put to death your members which are on the earth. Um, we talked about unbiblical asceticism in, ver in chapter 2. Man-made asceticism. You're spiritual because you don't do this or, you know, some regiment. But uh, here's what we might call biblical asceticism, right? There are some things you are to refrain from. And especially when it comes to this whole issue of uh, sexual immorality. We are to take up our cross. Cross is a is a picture of death. We are to take up our cross daily and follow Jesus Christ. So uh, note uh, my next slide here. The essential idea is to radically deal with sin that wants to work its way out into our lives through our body. <clears throat> we are dead to sin and to the old man, but now we must apply and practice what is true positionally. Union with God is now the spiritual reality of our lives, and we should live accordingly. By our will, with God's help, we must respond negatively and resolutely to the lusts of the flesh that would seek to use our physical body for illicit purposes. So um, it's not that, that these, you know, the pull isn't there. The temptation's not there. It is for us as believers. But we are to, to put it to death. And then he names a whole bunch of things. Really, pretty much the list here, the first list. He's got two lists here. And the first list relates to sexual sin for the most part here. And so he says uh, fornication. Fornication is the Greek word pornea. And uh, pornea is a broad word referring to all manner of illicit sexual sin. Um, we get the word pornography from, from pornea. And so, uh, you know, put this to death. It's, you know, it's to die in your life. It's not to have any part in your life is really what he is saying. And, you know, Paul says this all over the place. Very strong statement here in 1 Thessalonians 4. This is the will of God, your sanctification. This is what sets you apart as Christians, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Uh, don't have to wonder about it. <clears throat> this is clearly the will of God. We are to be a sexually pure people. And then he says, uh, uncleanness. This is moral impurity, moral filth. Uh, probably relates to uh, impure motives that would defile you spiritually. Um, perverted sexual fantasies, whatever it might be. Uh, put it to death. 
You know, again, no negotiation. Can't mess around with this. Passion. Uh, this is uncontrolled sexual desire. Passion. It's the idea of, of unbridled lust. Uh, sensual gratification. Very aggressive. Very aggressive. And the world is very aggressive in their, in their uh, passion, sexual passion. Evil desire. The idea here is evil lusts. Uh, immoral cravings. Again, the whole list here relates to sexual, sexual things. Uh, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Well, it's interesting he throws in covetousness in this list um, because we think about covetousness uh, wanting something that is forbidden, right? Something that is not yours to have and desiring it. Well, that certainly relates to uh, sexual desires outside the bounds of marriage that is forbidden fruit. Uh, Covetousness literally means to have more, to have more than that which is right. And uh, it, it relates to idolatry. Because you see, uh, to put to be covetous of that which is forbidden puts it puts it above God. Uh, the craving is uh, such that it puts it go, it seeks that and puts it above God. Now God's not in the top position. Uh, this desire is, and so sex can be a god. Illicit sex can be a god, and it is for the world generally. Uh, they live in this sexual idolatry. We live in a, a sex crazed world, and it's really full of idolatry. It's their god, and they're willing to kill for this god. That's why we got the whole debate over abortion and so forth. Uh, this is this is the world's god. Um, Sexual immorality is a god of sorts for many people. They put it above allegiance to the true God. People living in immorality invariably are also committing idolatry. This form of covetousness is the essence of idolatry. Anything forbidden that is put above God is an idol. And so really, again, the whole list here relates to uh, uh, sexual sin is is the idea here. Um, Okay, so kill. Kill it. Kill sexual sin. Outright, you can't let it uh, have some room to grow. Uh, you can't uh, play around with it. You don't flirt with it. You kill it. Uh, take decisive, resolute action. Strong language here. Uh, you just can't fool around with this stuff. People do this, uh, you'll fall. You'll fall. There's a reason the Bible says flee. Uh, flee from sexual sin. Uh, you, you just cannot linger there. You have, to, you have to just get to the root of this and, and kill it. You have to take decisive action. All right. Uh, any other thoughts as we... Yeah. Right. Sure. Gives you an, a kind of an excuse. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there certainly is a form of bondage there. You know, you call this addiction, bondage, whatever you want to call it. There is a, a, a sensual bondage, uh, bondage to sin. But Paul's going to say, hey, as believers, you're not in bondage anymore. So, uh, yeah, but the world is, that's for sure. All right, and they try to tamp it down and, and make it palatable and excusable and, you know, everything else here, yeah. Okay, verse 6, 
he says, because of these things, what things? Well, all manner of sexual perverseness that he has just described in various ways in the previous verse. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Now, um, the idea of wrath is uh, an outburst of anger. I mean, this makes God very angry. And uh, it is coming. The wrath of God is coming, as it says, because of sexual perversion that is prevalent in the world. As we saw earlier, our sanctification sets us apart from sexual immorality. But for the world, they traffic in this. I mean, the world's entertainment. You don't have, I would say you don't have to listen very long. Uh, turn on any of the main channels right now. You'll find it there in just short order. In all, uh, probably all of them. It's just constantly there. It's saturating uh, what is being listened to there. Uh, so a key reason for the wrath of God coming uh, ultimately on the world is because of sexual sin. That, that's the emphasis here. Uh, it's uh, what defines the world, and God is going to one day judge the world. <clears throat> the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience uh, because of this. Now, it's very politically correct to tolerate uh, sexual deviancy. I mean, uh, it, we've even got it codified in our laws now. Uh, where you dare not speak against it unless you're a hater. You wouldn't want to be a hater, would you? I mean, we're all about love. You understand, right? So that's why we don't speak against it. Perversion, you know, perverts the Bible, really, in terms of what, what really is love. Of course, you know, we want to have the right tone for sure. But uh, this is why the wrath of God is coming. And uh, there's no shock anymore. There's no shame anymore. It is so normalized, the sexual perversion of almost every sort out here. Pedophilia is not quite accepted yet, but that's the next great thing. I think that we're going to probably be seen in our society as it continues to be dumbed down here. We see it in our laws. We see it in our politics. We see it in our entertainment. We see it in our um, higher institutions of higher education, uh, in our families, in our churches. I mean, it just saturates the whole of society. But this is why the wrath of God is coming. I mean, it defines the world. Uh, it's coming upon the sons of disobedience. This is a description of unbelievers. They are sons of disobedience. Well, if the, believer, uh, the unbelievers are described, uh, you know, th these are those the wrath of God is coming upon, unbelievers, and they're described as sons of disobedience, what do you suppose believers uh, should be described as? How about sons of obedience? And I think that is the overall trait, although we certainly can fall into sin too. That's why uh, he's saying put to death these things, because you too, as a believer, uh, can fall into sin. But notice uh, for the sons of disobedience, it's, uh, it's a pattern. It's a lifestyle pattern. It's uh, habitual. Uh, versus believers who may fall into sin. Uh, I th and people often say, well, what about David? What about David? What about David? Well, here's, here's about David. Psalm 32. Here, here's his confession, what he went through. After he fell into sin, uh, tremendous sin. Uh, but he says, when I kept silent, before he came to you know, repentance and confession... When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer, Selah. That's his experience as a believer. You say, well, he was just skating along, living the high life. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. It's miserable. 
Then he says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. No longer was I keeping silent. Uh, I confessed it. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave me the iniquity of my sin, Selah. So then he says, restore to me the joy of my salvation and so forth. This uh, also in Psalm 51, you know, both of these Psalms are written in reference to his uh, repentance. Uh, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. This is how it was for David. Uh, I don't think there was any peace, day and night. He was wrestling with this. Yeah. Well, that's basically where I was going. Yep. You know, so you would think that there's somebody that has, you know, that's going to be all right. He's a king, and he's not married, not even mm-hmm. Yep. Well, that's true. I think there was there was compromise, you know, that was tolerated on a level in the Old Testament that under the New Covenant we don't see. Sure. Toler- even, even though it is proper for wives there, there's sexual sin that says, you know, I'm going to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the way, I mean, he forcibly took another man's wife. I mean, it was terrible that he had all these wives. I mean, but those were not like forcibly taken in adultery from another man. And this one was followed by murder, you know. So, uh, yeah, so it kind of upped the ante there there a little bit. But, uh, yeah, yeah, Uh, Jesus took us back to the beginning, as we know. Uh, So, I mean, the pattern was violated by a lot of guys in the Old Testament, that's for sure. So, okay. Um, sons of disobedience. Um, you know, the Bible's very clear here what God thinks about sexual sin. We have uh, Jude 7. Sodom and Gomorrah, infamous for the sexual sin that was going on there. The cities around them, in, in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality, gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Isn't that interesting? God intended what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah to be a standout example for, for all of time. This is an example. Of course, fire came down out of heaven, destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, God says, I, I intend that to be a standing example as far as how, how serious sexual immorality is before God. And then, of course, uh, you know, uh, we go to the end of the book, and it tells us there, Revelation 21, 7 and 8, He who overcomes shall inherit all things. True believers are overcomers. And they will inherit all things. I will be his God. He shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. In that list uh, are the sexually immoral, those who live this way as a constant pattern of uh, disobedience and defiance of of, uh, God. Uh, Ultimately, they're destined for the lake of fire. They are not saved, these people who live this way. Okay, any other thoughts here before I move on to the next verse? These three verses kind of go together here. Verse 7, he says, In which you yourselves once walked. Uh, We used to be there, right? Uh, Maybe not you. (laughs) I used to be there before I was a a believer. I got saved when I was 21. Uh, Yeah, Uh, I certainly was not above it in which you yourselves once walked. Uh, We used to live like this, but not anymore. 
Christ has come into our life, has changed our lives. And this is what uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you know, all over the New Testament, just one reference here. He says to the Corinthians, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom? Do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. And I think he says that because there's always these people say, Well, yeah, we can be Christians and still kind of live this way. No, 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 don't be deceived. Now, the fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites. Again, he's got uh, uh, all of these things kind of relating to uh, that first line, uh, sexual perversion. And nor thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and such were some of you. Yeah, we used to be here. Some of us lived like this. Uh, such were some of you, but you were washed, sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So he makes a, cl- a clear contrast. Uh, such were some of you, but, but's a contrast word. Uh, that's, not what, that's not where you are now. In which you yourselves once walked. He didn't say which, which you're still walking. We're still all living like this. We're Christians now, but we're, no, no, no. Uh, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Again, this is a way of life. It's a way of life. And uh, prior to conversion, this was our, the attitude, this was uh, how we uh, carried on in relationship to uh, immorality. We lived in it. Uh, it saturates, uh, you know, I, I used to work in a, in a shop. All the jokes all day long were, were sexual innuendos, just constantly. I mean, almost all of them. I mean, once in a while, somebody might tell something clean, but that'd be almost a miracle. <laughs> I just lived there. Uh, you lived in them. That's the way, that's what defines the world. No wonder the Bible draws such a clear line of distinction between what separates us and what the world lives in. This, this is where the world lives. All right, any other thoughts as we wrap up this? Yes. I think that's in reference to the, uh, like in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, he saves us from the, the wrath that is to come. I think we're going to be raptured out, and the wrath of God is going to fall on the world. So, yeah, I think Paul's pretty consistent there. This coming wrath relates to the, what we call the tribulation period, culminating the second coming. Well, the, yeah. Sure. I mean, there, there's all kinds of, of ju- but, but we're still living in the age of grace. I think this worldwide judgment that is going to come upon the whole world is really, again, the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation period, uh, the wrath of God generally that's going to come upon all these sons of disobedience, the whole world, really relates to that tribulation period. So even as bad as it is, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, the day before the fire fell, you know, hadn't fallen yet. You know, but then it did. And so, yeah, I think, you know, certainly there is a turning people over, societies and everything else. Romans 1, giving people over to a reprobate mind where they do these things that are not fitting. I mean, that's a form of judgment, too. That's maybe what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, And it's nothing new. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, we see apostasy in our country. But you know, it's nothing new. Uh, Roman, the Roman Empire knew all of these sins that, that Paul's describing here. I mean, the Nero, uh, Nero and, and the Caesars. I mean, these people were vile people. Nothing new under the sun here, really. Yeah. Paul did it right, Romans 1, and 
No. No. No, it was, it was very common in the Roman Empire. I mean, all of this stuff. And you go back to the Old Testament. I mean, it's, uh, there's nothing new under the sun here. Uh, yeah, we had a Judeo-Christian ethic underlying our society. And it, it was God-blessed. No doubt about that. But welcome to post-Christian America, my friends. Yes. Yeah. And they are participants of party meetings. Wow. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. That's, you know, that gets kind of scary. Yeah, yeah. That's like somebody's doing it a little worse than I'm doing it. <laughs> I don't know. They get, that gets kind of scary, honestly. I think you should maybe do what Paul says to the Corinthians, who had some real problems with the flesh there. Examine yourself. Make sure you're even in the faith. Wow, how am I supposed to take it then? It's like, how am I supposed to take it if I don't take it literally? Oh my goodness, I think he stumbled all over himself to make it clear. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right. And I personally think, I'm coming to you, Andrew. I personally think that's why the emphasis there is there, do not be deceived. Because these people, they do try to deceive us. They try to say, well, I'm okay. I'm a Christian. It doesn't really apply to me. Don't be deceived. You're living this way. Yeah, Andrew. Praise the Lord for your testimony. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. It's a rarity now, even among those who call themselves Christians. Uh, I, I, I could not believe it when my daughter went to Moody Bible Institute, the amount of immorality was going on. Even, even in my daughter's dorm room. I mean, I, 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 I went crazy, of course. Uh, you know, and, and let, you know, anyway, we don't need to go there. But uh, it's just amazing. It, 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 everywhere. Uh, praise the Lord for those who, hey, my Christianity is real. It really d- does make a difference in my life. I think that's authentic Christianity. Uh, you know, many will say, Lord, Lord. Yeah. Hey, one of the 
Right. So, like, my testimony needs to be more vocal. I yeah. need to be actually proclaiming the individual truth. Christ is the only way to heaven. Mm-hmm. We should not be living in sin. Yeah. Declaring these things vocally instead of just, it's kind of, it's like that old saying we grew up with, like, I, I should preach the gospel with my actions. Yeah. And it's like, the, well, you need the words. Yeah. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. Right. It's because the world is so deceived, they don't get it. Amen. Yep. We, we need both. We need uh, orthodoxy and we need orthopraxy. We, 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 need, we need the verbal. We need the living it. Uh, we need both. If, if one of them's missing, there's something wrong. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, that's good. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Michael. Didn't mean to overlook you. Well, amen. Amen, brother. I think you are right on there. And I I think even this is where that whole idea of idolatry comes in. You know, what God intended as far as to to typify the highest experience as far as ecstasy is our relationship with him. And now we're looking to the flesh uh, to be that, which is really a form of idolatry. 
just to build on what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lord, Lord, Lord willing. Lord willing. Sure. But there is a uh, different level of severity regarding mm-hmm. sin, right? And, in, and as we mentioned in the chapter, but in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 10, it says, Please sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. That's what the Bible says. Yeah. So, you know, this is serious. It's not serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And he does set that aside. As, uh, there is something unique about that sexual sin there in 1 Corinthians 6.18, like you're talking about there. Yeah, yes. One thing that always gets me is the us and the immediate us. Mm. And I think when we've read signs that emphasize the how much we're all about ourselves. Yeah, well, amen. Yeah, well, that's, that's so true. Me, self-gratification. Yeah, amen. That's very true. Well, amen. Uh, we, I, we're going to finish out here, but we're, we're going to move a little quicker. Uh, let's have somebody read verses 8 and 9 for us. Who wants to read that? 8 and 9. Yes, Jeremy. Yeah, eight and nine. Okay, so this is the second list. We have the first list in verses five through seven related to sexual sin. And now we have the second list related to the tongue and really related to the heart that governs the tongue. So you kind of have the first list related to sex, the second list related to the tongue. And uh, these are the two great categories of sin that are of special danger to us. Um, Let's see here. James has a lot to say about the tongue, right? Uh, we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, and what he says, he's a perfect man. He's mature, able to bridle the whole body. So James says, hey, the acid, t- uh, the acid test for James is the tongue. Now, Paul has a lot to say about it here, too. Uh, now, you yourselves, personal responsibility, uh, are to put off all these. It's like you're putting off dirty clothes. You know, you got... You got sprayed by a skunk. You take that, those clothes off. Uh, they're dirty. You, you discard them. Uh, this is the idea to put off, to discard, to remove. Uh, put off all these. Anger, which is a smoldering type of uh, anger where you don't get over it. Uh, you're bitter. Uh, that, that's the idea. Resentful. Uh, wrath is an explosion, a violent outburst, uh, where you have a short fuse, lack of self-control, uh, uh, malice is the idea of ill will. It wishes, you know, it wishes bad on people. I really wish you'd get run over by a truck today. That'd make my day. <laughs> uh, that's malice. It's, it's uh, vicious ill will. Uh, blasphemy means to speak ir- irreverently. Uh, that's the idea when addressed towards God. With people, it's more the idea of slander, uh, to speak uh, injuriously. Um, and then he says, and uh, filthy language. Uh, Put away uh, filthy language out of your mouth. Um, Filthy language is that which is obscene, vulgar, coarse. Um, You know, what we call, might call four-letter words, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, That which is indecent and not edifying. And, of course, uh, you know, Paul 
in Ephesians 4.29 says basically the same thing. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. The main part, grace to the hearer. Uh, and then uh, he says, uh, verse 9, do not lie to one another. A special mention almost for lying. You know, lying comes very easy for people. I mean, it's, you know, we talk about pride being the besetting sin. But, you know, the first question we ask people, you know, uh, have you ever told a lie? You know, as we're trying to witness to people showing them they're sinners. Have you ever told a lie? Who hasn't told a lie? I mean, everybody's told a lie except for, you know, the worst of the liars who say they haven't. But uh, we are all prone to lie. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, as it says in Jeremiah 17. So we are to be truth tellers. Uh, and then he says, um, by the way, I really think the worst form of lying is religious lying. Uh, for John, when he talks about all liars will have their part in the lake of fire, I really think he's talking about people who lie about their relationship with God. Uh, if we say that we know him and keep his, not his commandments, uh, we're a liar. Truth is not in us. Uh, so I think there are people that lie. They lie to God. They lie to others. They lie to themselves about their relationship with God. That's what John consistently has in view. And when he says all liars, I think he's specifically talking about those who lie about their relationship with God. Uh, but here he's talking to believers. Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Now, he's been talking about our practice. And uh, he says to put off all these uh, in, our, in our practice. Uh, put it off like discarding old, dirty clothes. Don't let that be a part of your experience. But now he comes back to our position. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds. This is positional reality. We have put off the old man. In conversion... This has already happened. We have put off the old man. And uh, so, and with his deeds. Uh, Romans 6, we're already dead uh, to sin. Uh, the old man uh, and all that he did has been discarded like an old dirty suit. You got rid of that person. You are no longer that old person. All the spiritual relationships of your life are now changed. When you came to Christ, it involved change. He changed you from the old person you were to a whole new uh, to a whole new you with a whole new nature. So your whole identity, spiritually speaking, is now, is now new. You're, you're a new creation. And uh, the old things have passed away, new things have come. All right. Um, I'm cutting out some of my notes here, but yes. Jeremy? Part of some of your notes probably in reference to Proverbs 6. No. <laughs> it could have been, though. I love Proverbs 6. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking very much in that, in that thing, the, uh, 6.15 says, uh, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven of them are an abomination. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, the hand that says it's worth, later on it also says in verse 19, a false witness who dreams out lies, and one who discords, who sows discord among themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good observation, Jeremy. Tremendous emphasis in Proverbs on on the tongue, for sure. That's good. That's good. Very good. Okay, uh, let's uh, have somebody read verses ten and eleven. Who wants to finish this out? Ten and eleven. Yeah, Gwinnett.
Okay, thank you. So uh, we have put on, a, on the whole, a whole new man. We have a whole new identity in Christ. We have a brand new nature that's now wed to the Holy Spirit. And uh, this, is, this is our whole new identity that we have in Jesus Christ. I quoted 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become. All the relationships of life are now different. Um, let's see here. Oh, that's my verse right there. Uh, I got some other slides here. Let's roll through them here. Uh, when it comes to the old man and the new man, don't think in terms of the old man merely referring to the old sin nature, what is called the flesh, and the new man merely referring to your new nature. It's more than that. Think in terms of the big picture of your whole identity. The old man is everything you were as an unredeemed person. That's the old man. It was your total identity before you were saved. Now the new man includes your new nature, but it's a totality of who you are now in Christ. It's the whole new identity you now have in Christ. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't have time to really get into this. But, you know, as, a, as an unsaved person, you're alive in your soul. I mean, they do have the mental faculties. They can think and comprehend. They have feelings, emotions. All of those things relate to the soul. But spiritually, they're dead. They're dead in sin. Uh, they don't have a relationship with God. And so, but now we're, we're uh, you know, we're alive in our soul, too. They are, too. But now we have a new nature. Uh, and, and we're dead to sin, dead in sin, dead to sin. Uh, we have a new nature that's now wed to the Holy Spirit. We have a whole new spiritual identity. Um, one more slide here. First John 3, 9, whoever has been born of God, and he's talking about the new nature here. Born of God does not sin. I, the new nature never sins, for his seed remains in him. He cannot sin because he has been born of God. So, you know, that new nature which is wed to the Holy Spirit, that new nature doesn't sin. Now, we still have the flesh, and uh, I think this is where this comes in. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims to abstain from fleshy lusts which war against the soul. That's the realm where we uh, struggle here. Um, all right. Um, notice he talks about uh, we put off the old man. Uh, that's been discarded, and we put on the new man uh, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Interesting. Uh, renewed is the idea of transformation. There's a transformation that's going on, and it involves a growth process. Uh, here in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we're talking about the, the mind here. And uh, we're talking about uh, knowledge, renewed in knowledge. Notice it doesn't say renewed in your experience. Well, yeah, your experience enters in, but knowledge, what you know, and then living accordingly. And uh, then we are being, uh, as we grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, we're being conformed to his image, uh, according to the image of him who created him. Uh, unbelievers are still in the image of God. It's effaced, but it's not completely erased but now as we have come to know Christ, little by little, we're being conformed back into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's what uh, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all with unveiled face, what we're, we're looking at, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Our focus is on Jesus. Are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. From one level of glory to another level of glory. Little by little, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. 
So the Spirit of the Lord uses that beholding as we are looking uh, unto Jesus. Little by little, we are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We're becoming more Christ-like as we go along in keeping with our new identity. And then he says, verse uh, 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, we're one in Christ. And say, well, we got, we got different races. Not in Christ. It's not the emphasis spiritually. Uh, circumcised nor uncircumcised. Uh, you know, Jewish religion versus other religions, pagans. No, uh, we don't have that division in Christ. Barbarian or Scythian. Uh, barbarian refers to those that are, you know, uncivilized. Barbarians. What, what are you, a bunch of barbarians? Uh, you know, uncivilized people. Uh, the Scythians were considered savages. They were the worst of the barbarians. In fact, uh, the Scythians, when they killed their enemies, they liked to drink their blood. I mean, I guess just to make a point, but, you know, Josephus called them just, just a little bit better than wild beasts. I mean, uh, they, they, were, they were called the savages. Slave nor free. Uh, you know, social classes, no, not in, not in Christ. Uh, you know, we're all one in Jesus Christ. No spiritual distinctions here. At this point, at Colossae, uh, this was uh, an issue because of Onesimus, the slave, had run away from Philemon, who was a member of the church. Having been converted by Paul, he was now returning with Tychicus, uh, who was the carrier of the letter to the Colossians. He also had a special letter from Paul addressed to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. This letter in our New Testament is called Philemon. So it's interesting. I mean, you've got some slave master issues going on behind the scenes here at Colossae. He's saying, hey, in Christ, we're all equal here. We're all brothers, sisters. Uh, there's neither a slave nor free. But Christ is all and in all. Uh, I love this. I love this. Christ is all. He's everything to all of us. Uh, all these other distinctions that we tend to make, say, well, yeah, the, the, this, this. No, no, no. For all of us, Christ is all and in all. One more slide. For all of us as believers, Christ is all. He's everything to all of us. He's our reconciler. He's our wisdom. He's our life. He's our everything. And we are complete in him. And Christ is in all. There's no exception. All believers are in Christ, and Christ is in all believers. We all share the same spiritual status, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's true for all of us. So, you know, puts us all right in the same category here. You say, well, we got all these different slices of category. No, we don't. Not, not in the family of God, not spiritually speaking. Yeah, we have different roles, all of that type of thing. But spiritually speaking, uh, there's no spiritual distinctions. Uh, the new man that we are in Jesus Christ... Uh, we all share in that spiritual reality equally. I listened to this program. I have no idea why I was even listening to it, but it was, they were interviewing a bull rider, right? And uh, he had, they were showing a terrible, you know, accident, accident. I don't know if it's an accident if you get on a bull or not. But anyway, uh, he was in a, a terrible mishap where, you know, had all of his teeth knocked out of his head. He was knocked unconscious, you know. Uh, you got to be a little bit crazy to get on a bull to start with. But anyway, uh, they asked what he did as a cowboy. He said, what do you do as a cowboy? And he said, uh, being a cowboy is not what I do. It's who I am, is what he said. And I thought of that line. I thought, you know, that's the way it should be for us as Christians. Being a Christian is not simply what I do. It's who I am. And who am I? Well, Christ is all and in all. Christ is our all. 
That's who we are. And now Paul says, really, live accordingly. Live accordingly to this reality. All right, any other thoughts as we wrap up? Good discussion tonight. All right, let's share some prayer requests here.